This episode is proudly sponsored by ShakeBay, Canada's easiest way to buy and earn Bitcoin in 10 minutes or less with no deposit or withdrawal fees. It's so easy, even the boomer can do it. Guys, I've personally been using ShakePay for several years and highly recommend them. Their mobile app makes it super easy to buy and sell Bitcoin. All you have to do is e-transfer directly to your ShakePay account and you're ready to go. So head over to shakepay.com or download the mobile app, use the referral code LOONYHOUR and get $30 of free Bitcoin when you sign up. ShakePay gives out free Bitcoin to every user every day just by shaking your phone. They call this the shaking sats feature. It's awesome. I highly encourage you to go check it out. ShakePay has also just launched one of Canada's only Bitcoin cashback prepaid credit cards, which gives users up to 2% Bitcoin cashback on every transaction. If you want to opt out, Canadian dollars and start earning rewards through Bitcoin, go check out ShakePay. Once again, guys, that's shakepay.com. Before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to the Looney Hour, episode 56. As always, joined by the three amigos, we got Keith Dicker of Ice Cap Asset Management and, of course, Rich Diaz with Acorn Macro Consulting. Welcome back to the show. Gentlemen, what's going on? I'm all muddled up. It's it's daylight saving time. So I was totally asleep when you guys messaged me to get onto the Looney Hour podcast. I thought I had an hour to prepare and to nap and to get ready. Um, so I'm just, I'm just, I'm just catching up, but, uh, the markets are down oils up and, um, and the Republicans are going to absolutely crush the Democrats in the, in the midterm elections. So we'll see all is well, I guess. If, uh, who knows? We'll see. We'll see in a couple of weeks if all is well or not. Yeah. Anyway, that's it for me. Rich, you mean you prepare for the podcast? <laughs> Uh, yeah sadly i do prepare for the podcast <laughs> uh it's good hey like i'm having a fun week um you know we'll have a great conversation a great chat but you know this was the fed week and we always like to say um you know you wake up in the morning is there anything any news coming out or data points to help you decide whether to continue with your view or, or change it and I, I think this week's fed meeting was one of the biggest that we'll see in a long time and um, they they hit it out of the park, I thought. So uh, we'll go into that as well. And you know that lines up. So we're making money this week. So I'm, you know, I'm happy. Unlike Rich, I was taking a nap today. I was, I was counting money. That's I've been long oil for I've been long oil for six months. So I, I didn't need to count my money. I already knew I was up. <laughs> See, when I'm counting with currency stuff, it's like one, two with energy. <laughs> Rich is going 10, 20, 30, 40. <laughs> I need a, I need you guys to help me out with the GoFundMe here. Being in uh, Canadian real estate, it's uh, oh yeah, it's been the, rough, the beatings right? continue, which we're gonna get into. Um, so we've got the uh, oh actually by the way before we get into this, I don't know if uh, you guys saw the the arrive scam app is uh, is now being audited. So hopefully they audit the the reviews as well. 
I'm shocked by this because it had spectacular reviews. It was a highly rated, very useful, and universally approved and loved app. So, I mean, I don't even know why they're bothering. I, I think we should just put it to the side, you know, water under the bridge. You know, let's just all forgive our one another for Honestly, the trespasses yeah. over the last two years. That was going viral, by the way. If anyone didn't see that, it was like, what was it? The, the Atlantic that wrote the yeah. article it was like, everyone just needs to forgive everybody and just like, and move on from this pandemic thing. And then like, yeah, people were making all these like viral videos being like, forget, like it was, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty funny. Um, but uh, yeah, hopefully the, the, the reviews get audited. So the loony hour is, is the only legitimate source for authentic reviews, which reminds you to go and leave us a five-star review for this podcast. But um, let's segue into our usual, opening here which is let's you know get through the, some of the canadian news um starting with housing of course uh i'm here in vancouver so vancouver home sales uh for the month of october we've got some data for vancouver toronto uh sales were down 46 percent on a year-over-year basis uh it was the fewest home sales since going back to october of 2008 uh so a very very weak year uh, obviously, you know, October, 2008 was what a month after Bear Stearns basically went under. So, um, you know, we're comparing sales to, to that. That was the last time we've seen, uh, figures around these levels, new listings continue to remain, remain low, uh, similar, similar story in the, the GTA. Um, so we had, uh, Toronto home sales were down 49% on a year over year basis, um, new listings were also at um, 12 year lows, the lowest levels since October of 2010. So, yeah, either way you slice it, uh, continues to be the same story. Mortgage rates are elevated, too high, they're crushing demand, but we're seeing sellers basically digging in their heels and starving the market of inventory, which I think is actually supporting prices. What's interesting is actually the median sales price for all property types in Vancouver actually went up month over month in October. I think that's noise in my opinion. So anyone that's reading that, I think that's noise. I think we're still seeing prices edge lower, but they are, they're firming up a bit. And I think it's just more of an inventory story. Um, just to give you guys a bit of context. So we were basically running at sales volumes equivalent to, again, like October, 2008, right? So we're basically looking at financial crisis levels of home sales the only difference is today, and both this is equivalent in the Greater Vancouver and in the GTA, is inventory levels are quite literally, they're half, half of what they were in 2008. So we have... There's George. George approves. So we've got home sales running basically at levels last seen during the global financial crisis and the depths of 08. Uh, but the only difference is that you've got inventory levels at quite literally half of what they were in 2008. So basically, I think that comes down to like the sort of financialization of housing, which is everyone's got all these investment properties. Everyone's just saying, you know what? The rental market's strong enough. Let's just take it off the market, hold it, rent it out. Um, so it's these are markets that for whatever reason, you can quantificate as you wish, but refuse at this point to be oversupplied and how does the and and then the uh, my only question because um i i'm kind of got distracted frankly but um was how does this population stuff factor into this or it doesn't yet 
or do I mean our our, our developers, our renters, our, our people who are sort of speculating on the housing market, do they even consider this that piece of information, or is that just too far ahead? And then we're just trying to get through this cycle and then and survive and then move on. Uh, I mean, I think like every every person I talk to in the housing market, buyers, sellers, developers, whatever, everybody always talks about immigration. That is definitely like the bull argument. Again, maybe it, I, I think. You know, you could argue that maybe part of it's flawed. Maybe it's kind of like hopium, but um, people definitely bring up that that topic of conversation. Say, well, you know, we're keep pulling in more people here. Everybody wants to live here, and again, right or wrong, um, that that's the argument. And and what is interesting is obviously we had an announcement from the federal government, um, you know, here in Canada just this week. Uh, so we had some immigration. They they just bumped up immigration targets. So. Canadian government will increase its immigration targets to 485,000 new immigrants in 2024, and then increasing it to 500,000 new immigrants in 2025. So um, what's interesting is that we've already admitted 485,000 permanent residents this year already. So we're well above the target of 432,000 people for 2022. So we've actually overshot uh, the targets in Ottawa has just raised them again. Uh, what's interesting, there was a comment from from Ben Rabideau on Twitter uh, post this announcement. He says, quote, I had a federal MP telling me via DM that high immigration supporting house prices was one key consideration in the government's announcement for increasing targets. So they're not interested in affordable housing at all then? No, they never were. Okay. <laughs> um, my, my question, I mean, listen, the reality is, is Canada is an enormous country with probably the, the, the fewest or the least amount of people per square um, capital, sorry, per square foot of any major country. Um, but is it still true that everyone just goes into those two cities, Vancouver and Toronto? Because, I mean, listen, if, if those 400,000 people were spread evenly across Canada, I don't think it would be such a big deal. Um, but I, I mean, is, I would is, yeah, Go ahead, I sorry. would agree. Like, okay, so my always thought process here is like, definitely people always send a funnel into like the major metros. Like, where's the where's the economic opportunity, right? Like, if you're coming here to work and have a job, you're. I mean, the jobs are, are obviously in the GTA, and then I think Vancouver is probably number two in terms of like decent jobs. Now, again, don't get me wrong, cost of living stinks, but like, at least you got a like a decent job. It, there's things to do it's a big it's a big major metropolitan city the weather is like half decent um the reality is is that yeah i think people do ultimately funnel into these two major metropolitan cities i think like if you compare it to like the u.s which is hard to do obviously but if you look at like some of these like decent sized like cities in like canada would be like remote towns in the u.s yeah like a hundred thousand people, like that is like a tiny, tiny town somewhere in like rural United States. But like in Canada, we're like, oh, it's a pretty big like Kelowna. It's you know, hundred thousand people. Like there's lots to do here. Like that. Well, would Halifax be... has Halifax has four hundred thousand people, and it's it's you know, it's an enormous city. It's one of the top. It's the largest city in Atlantic provinces, and um, four hundred thousand. Yeah, so five hundred thousand one. Sorry. Don't forget me. <laughs> one four hundred thousand and one. Uh, you, you got the uh, order a, a bit reversed there, guys. Uh, so the way immigration works in Canada, there's a quota for each province. 
So if, if you apply and you're accepted, you, you, you have to go to the province that you were assigned to. But then once you're in the province, I think you might have to stay for a year or something like that. Then they filter back out to like Toronto and Vancouver and everything. So they don't You're come in laughing. That's not serious. We we know that you can't be you can't be honestly believe that that's the way that that works though. Yeah, you go to the province. That's where you come into, and then you filter out afterwards. Somebody fact check us. Someone that's listening to this podcast, fact check us an email. But but okay, because I, don't I, know, like I mean, if I'm an immigrant, like let's be right. honest, like you you come from like I don't know what wherever you come from, France. There's loads of immigrants from France. For I don't example. know. Okay, let's say you come from India. Like that's like our number one uh, destination right now for new immigrants is coming from India. You come from like India, nice like you know hot hot weather, and then you get dropped. You get airdropped into like Saskatchewan. Like <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, man. That's a that's a culture shock. Like you know those are going to be some tough winters. So I, I mean I get it. And then you're like, oh, well, I'm going to go somewhere else, and you end up in Vancouver. Like. I, I'm pretty sure that's the way it works. So, uh, okay. but next All topic, right. let's go on to the next one. <laughs> but that's the point, though. If you get you know hot dropped into, you know, somewhere in Saskatchewan or in, you know, Kitsilano, like you want to get out of there right away. So you 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 want to go somewhere else. But anyway, we'll get White people horse. to check it out for us. Yeah, White Horse, all that. Halifax. Let's talk about uh, something a bit more interesting, like the. Oh, I got one more note on here. Hold on. Our last little Canadian thing, because everybody loves the uh, the pinpoint home capital. So home capital, you guys remember that was like everybody was short selling it. I think in 2017, uh, you had the, the the infamous Mark Cahotis all over it, uh, mortgage fraud, and, um, and ultimately it was bailed out by Warren Buffett in 2017. Uh, so this is per national bank. So they had a research note out this week saying home capital borrowers could face up to an $1,190 increase in their monthly mortgage payments over the next 12 months as um, up to 66% of its borrowers will need to renew their mortgage within 12 months. So pretty big, uh, you know, if you're looking for sort of maybe some more inventory coming to market, as we talked about, you know, inventory levels, half of what they were in 08, I think that's a, a possible scenario where you get a lot of these people. Remember, HomeCap, Equitable Bank, these are alternative lenders. They're not tier one banks, they're tier two. So if you can't get approved at RBC, you typically would fall down the ladder. You go to Home Capital. Home Capital typically issues one to two-year loans. They're typically always short-duration loans. They're usually stop gaps, right? Like you go, if you can't get approved to RBC, you go to home cap so you can close on your purchase. And the idea is that, you know, you'll you'll clean up your balance sheet or what have you. And, you know, house prices will go up. You'll, you'll refinance out of home capital, home capital, and you'll go into RBC. Um, obviously, that's extremely difficult to do when house prices are down and interest rates are up. So, um, a lot of these people that are on took one year terms with home capital, say a year ago, are now coming up for renewal and they are going to see massive uh, payment shocks. So these are almost like your uh, teaser loans, almost like in the US back in uh, 08. Maybe not to that extent, but you get the point. And did the report, Steve, uh, give us indication of the, the value of those mortgages that are coming due? I just did it on the six yeah. to 18 months or so. 
Uh, I mean, I'm just doing it based off of an assumption of they're saying an average increase of about like $1,200 a month. You're, 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 that, that shouldn't, that should mean your, your typical loan would be around 500,000 bucks. Um, that's a, that's a guess. I, I don't have the exact figures, but if your payment's going up by 1200, that sh- just should be around a 500 K increase. It's interesting because it sort of ties in a lot of stuff that we're watching now. And, um, you know, one thing is we talk about, are we, are we going to go to a recession? And most people are now saying, yeah, we're, we're going to have a recession. And then it's, are we going to have a hard recession or not? And I, I, I still don't think we're starting to see the, and, and Rich will confirm this for, for Canada and as well as for the Americans, but we're not seeing the hard data yet that that's confirming it. But I'm starting to hear some anecdotal stories that things are getting a bit soft out there. I know uh, Europe is look, looking pretty bad. I know, I know Rich has some data on that, and that's showing up already. But it, it also ties into what you know what the central banks are doing and what they're not doing. So uh, can we go to the Fed now? Is this the yeah? Moment? Boom! The big Fed meeting. Keith was uh, Keith had his popcorn out the other day watching Jay Powell's Fed meeting presser there. So. Give us, give us the whole breakdown. Obviously, Fed raised 75 basis points. think that's what markets were pricing in. There was some hopium that they would do 50, um, but it looks like they went 75. And uh, give us your thoughts. Well, you know, like, you know, hope is never a great strategy for the investment world. So uh, you, don't, you don't do that. Uh, so to set this up, though, uh, and, and then this, this, is, this is our view, you know, uh, ice cap view is that, all the other central banks have started to, to pivot in a way. And people think the pivot is you know, the real hard 180 turn. And it, it's not that at all. It's just that you've suggested you're not going to raise rates aggressively as you were, or you're getting closer to the terminal rate and, and stuff like that. So in, in our mind, you know, the Canadians did it last week. Uh, the Europeans did it. The Aussies did it. Uh, the UK did it this morning as well. So it, now the stage was set for the Americans and they're coming out and everyone, they're thinking, okay, are they going to do this soft pivot? Which means, you know, if, even if they do 75 basis points, uh, which is 100% expected, by the way, no one was expecting anything else. They, everyone's looking for a key, you know, are they going to suggest that, you know, maybe they won't raise aggressively the next meeting and then they're done. So do you guys remember the, uh, you know, the, the great actor from the eighties, Rodney Dangerfield, do you guys remember him? <laughs> Yeah, you're really actor. dating yourself here. Yeah, he ranks comedian, you know maybe great actor. I don't know. It's a bit strong. <laughs> he didn't get a lot of respect, but I thought he was no. pretty good. Oh my god! But he did this really cool movie called Back to School, and in the movie, he went to university, you know, with with his son, and you know, did Rodney Dangerfield things. But he was on the swim diving team, and they needed him to come through in the end to do this crazy dive to get the highest point total necessary. And that would smooth everything out and make everyone unhappy. So it's called the Triple Lindy. And, you know, as the story goes, only one of the guys attempted this. You start at the top board and you hit two or three other ones on the way down and come back up again. One guy tried it, I think a Russian, and he died twice on the way down. That's how dangerous this thing is. Anyway, Rodney Dangerfield, he, he executed the Triple Lindy and everyone was happy and stuff like that. The Federal Reserve yesterday, uh, Chairman Powell, he was trying to do the triple Lindy. This is this is my, I don't think the Wall Street Journal wrote it this way. But this is this is my version of it. So uh, they you know they got through the statement and the market took it as being somewhat dovish and markets were starting to rally. And then he got into the presser 
And uh, one of the reporters actually said to him, he said, uh, so right now markets are actually like liking or enjoying what you're saying. You know, equities are up, credit is, is up, and the dollar is down. And my God, like Powell looks at the guy and says, well, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to switch this around because you guys are not listening to me. Because remember we said before he came into Jackson Hole and he had like the 45-second speech. And he says, I'm going to keep raising rates. Let's stop inflation. Uh, that's what he did during the presser. And, you know, markets did a complete 180. And, and the reason they've done that, because now all of a sudden we have all the other central banks which have done this soft pivot. And now they're waiting for the Fed to come in line with him. And the Fed didn't. And so, so what's really interesting about this is a couple of things. So one of his uh, specific lines that he said, um, he said, you know what, it is very premature to begin discussions when, when we will pause the rate increases. And that just caused the markets you know, just just uh, just to puke. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about, you know, people talk about you know Paul Volcker back in the '80s, and I don't think a lot of people realize what his experience was back then. Um, so when he came on, it was in the late '79, whatever. Uh, he raised rates by 300 basis points over a very quick time frame. And when he did that, then he stopped because the recession was coming on. So he created the recession and then he quickly reversed those 300 basis points. So he went up 300, back down 300. And this happened within, within about a year. And when he went back down again, then inflation took off again. So then he increased rates another 400 basis points. And he, he created another recession, this time a deeper recession in America. But that's what finally broke the back of, of inflation. People think, you know, he walked in you know, like Noel Gallagher going to, to Oasis on day one, you know, and just writing the music and saving the day. He, he didn't do that at all. He, he went in, he failed the first time. He realized his error. And then he went harder back at it. And, and that's what Powell and the Fed can see today. They know that if they stop prematurely, there's a chance that they're not going to, you know, nip this inflation problem in, in the bud. So that's why he continually comes out. And that's what he referenced at Jackson Hole as well, by the way. So, so from an investment perspective, we continue on this path with a probability of, of a crisis taking place in the sovereign debt world. It, it's, it's still there. Like it, it's getting tighter and tighter. And that means that, you know, the risk will come out. And I think it will be in the, in the FX world. So that's why you're getting this, um, you know, market here, you know, Thursday here right now, it's uh, FX is coming off pretty hard and same with uh, equities as well. But that's the beginning shot of what happened at, at the Fed this week. Again, it was a spectacular meeting and it was the presser, right? It wasn't the actual statement that they came out with. Rich, Steve, Rich, wake here, up. What's, Rich your, your uh, what's the update on what's the, oh, I'm just listening to you in amazement. Um, what's the, uh, what's the market's expectations now for the terminal rate? So uh, where they expect the Fed to basically finish their rate hiking cycle. It moved up after the the, um, the presser, didn't it? Uh, you're going to have to give me a second here to check it out. Fire up the, that bloom tube. Well, I mean, I, I just, while well, 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 Keith looks at that, I think what's also important is to remember and to think about where the sell-off occurred. And I think that that's where, you know, I think that that's, I think, very indicative of sort of the motivation that Powell might have with respect to what he's doing with the the with the, the Fed funds rate. Um, and it's not clear at all that um, it's going to ultimately affect inflation until it gets much higher. And it also might take longer for these rate hikes to feed through. 
Um, but I think it's, you know, if you look at the tech sector, consumer discretionary, it's driven, it's absolutely driven the declines in the market. There are some sectors like financials, utilities, telecom, healthcare, you know, they were, they were down, of course, it's tough when the entire market is down, you know, almost four, almost 3% over two days. But I mean, there's hardly been any movement in, in some of these older kind of non long durations assets. And I think that that's, I think, you know, that's what's partly motivating this view. Um, you know, early before we got on, you know, Steve, you were asking me what's going on with the tech. And I think, you know, there's two types of tech. There's a speculative tech that's been continually hammered, you know, and then, and there's the consumer discretionary stuff that's, you know, on, on, you talk about hopium, long duration assets that, um, you know, are basically disconnected from reality and totally valued as, as a result of a very, very low, um, interest rate, low, num uh, low denominator, um, and then you have the tech and that's, I mean, tech is down 5% over two days. It's the worst performing sector over the last like three or four weeks. And I think that that's really where this froth, I think that's the appetite to get this froth out of the market. So, um, because you're seeing utilities, financials are actually, are, are, are holding up really well. Telecom energy. We've talked about that a lot. So I think it's also important to look at how the market's reacting and where the losses are building up. The losses are building up on millennial balance sheets. <laughs> That are long Facebook and Amazon. Well, Amazon. Yeah, Amazon. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know too many uh, young kids these days that are loaded up the truck on uh, oil and gas. But uh... well, we talked about bellwether stocks and things to look at. I mean, uh, Meta is down. I mean, just an incredible amount. Spotify, Google's one of those that's going down. But you know, other stocks are, are actually held up relatively well. I mean, if you look at Bank of America, it's made a new it made a new high. Um, Exxon made a new high. Um, Roche, which is a very important healthcare stock out of Switzerland, that's making a new high. Um, Jesus, even even SAP out of Germany, Total again, another energy company. So I mean, it's it's not exact. I mean, yes, there are lots of losses, but the you know the market's also telling you that. There are some stocks that are going to be able to weather this storm again in relative terms. I mean, I mean, Walmex, I mean, I've been after this Mexico story for a long time. That's just making you know, almost a six month high. Um, so it, it's not, you know, I think that it's important to look at the different sectors and see where, what the market is telling you with respect to the, the Powell messaging, et cetera. Are you give, us an up, give us an update on the, uh, the bloom tubes. <laughs> I was I was buying you time. <laughs> <laughs> you bought a lot of time. That was really good. Um, okay, so before yesterday's meeting, they're expecting two seventy-five basis point hikes. So they did seventy-five, which meant you know the terminal rate was around four seventy-five. So they're at four right now. Right now, the market is almost pricing in five and a quarter. So it, it's almost an additional. For what day? For what date? Uh, this is out rich to May and June. Like by May, okay. like we're at, you know, five, you know, five fourteen, five fifteen. Of and course, that's, that's never the terminal that rate. Range. Oh, you don't think well, so? That's what, you don't think that's what, you don't think they'll get there? Well, they won't increase by fourteen basis points. They're either going to do twenty-five or no. I, I'm what I mean is like they're not going to. Um, you don't think you don't think they'll reach five and a quarter? I, I don't know. My, my view with central banks and. I love it when they're consistent. And, and in my mind, the Fed is, they're going out of their way to tell you, don't try to stop us, right? Don't, if you're betting against us, we got a lot more money than you do and you're just going to fail, right? 
Um, whereas the Bank of Canada, they flip flop last last week. The Europeans are Europeans; you never know what what they're going to do with, with their monetary policy. Um, I thought the UK this morning was, was brilliant. They uh, they did seventy five basis points. So the Bank of England did did a hike by seventy five basis points, which was more than expected, and everyone started the hyperventilating. But then they said. Oh, we'll never. We're actually not going to raise rates anymore. Reading the future, we might do one more, but we're we're basically stopped now, and that's it. Which the market just made right now. Sterling is off almost three percent for the day. You know, which is outstanding. It's an incredible um, number. Again, people don't understand for stocks to go down three percent. You can sort of understand that that happens fairly often. For for FX, for FX, and to a lesser degree, bonds, three percent is an incredible, incredible number. Just so people, yeah, Rich, understand. that's like a eight or nine percent day on the Nasdaq or something. Like yeah. it, it's pretty big. Uh, but again, like with the Fed, they're they're being pretty aggressive. So back to your question, what do I think they're going to do? I know they're going to keep raising until they tell us, you know, they're not going to raise. And and that's not a. a I mean, it's kind of funny because right, you know, like the big, you know, investment news channels, they always get talking heads on. What do you think the Fed will do next and that stuff? And you know, it's great conversation, but it's a waste of time. Instead, just listen to what they're telling you. And right now they're telling you, you know, we're going to keep raising rates. Um, and that's important to know. It's, it's important to know because everyone else has really said, we're going to stop raising rates. Here in Canada, who knows what the Bank of Canada will do next? Like, I, I have little confidence in understanding and in appreciating what they're going to do. As an example, I don't know if you guys noticed, was a little press release by the Bank of Canada this week. And uh, they actually announced an, a soft QE scheme. Did you guys see that? Yeah. yeah. But I'm not sure. I think we're over it. Go ahead. Tell us what yeah. it is, Keith. But well, I, think we're I mean, over Keith, it, you, you, you can get into it. I mean, I was like, someone sent me that article and I instantly like texted like all the you know contacts that I had just to kind of get some feedback on it. I think it's more just like a liquidity operation for the federal government, but Anyways, why? How would the feds need liquidity on short paper? I don't get it. I mean, I try to sell me that story. I, I would if it's a long dated paper, like you know, you're doing like a fifty year issuance or something, or it's credit. This is the federal government issuing short paper, and they want the Bank of Canada to come in to help smooth out liquidity with it. I, I don't understand. Maybe there's some timing issue going on with with pension funds and banks and stuff. Um, I hope that's what it is, but it, it's, it's just a little bit funny. But again, it's back to my point. You got some odd things taking place. A another thing to think about um, as a result of the Americans raising rates yesterday in, in Hong Kong, they had the jack up rates as well because their monetary policy is tied directly to uh, what the Americans are doing. And did you see the Hong Kong GDP number? Did you guys see that? Yeah, yeah. I saw that. So they massively. So, yeah, so the previous quarter, there was minus 1.3, which shouldn't be a shock. I mean, like, they're, they're shut down. No one's doing stuff. Uh, this number that came out for the next quarter was minus 4.5. So they've gone from the minus 1.3. The expectations, by the way, the expectations were, like, negative 0.5 and, uh, or negative 0.8 or something. It was, like, sub yeah. 1. So it was, like, it was a massive miss. So, so I've got some anecdotal stuff. I got an anecdotal oh, wait, story about Hong wait, Kong. Oh, whoa, sorry. Whoa, go whoa. ahead. Stop, stop, stop. Hold. Don't cut the boomer off. Come on. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought you were done. <laughs> no, I'm doing the triple Lindy. I'm going <laughs> to get ready here. But people need to appreciate when you raise rates 
like that, you're actually sucking capital out of the system, right? So it's the same thing as the Bank of Canada raising rates. So in Hong Kong, they have a property challenge that's taking place. Uh, the banks are not lending, and all of a sudden rates are going up. It's make it more. So they're raising. So in Hong Kong, they're now raising rates aggressively during a really sharp recession, and it doesn't work, guys. Like something like that, you know, just breaks. And you, you, so you bring that back to Canada. Of course, there's a couple of things to think about. It, again, I think something does uh, accelerate in some kind of crisis around the world. Not Canada first, but we, we will feel the effect of it. But think about the, if we do go into hard landing now in, in Q1, um, you know, we'll have some of these, you know, side effects coming here as well. So what do you got there, Rich? Sorry about that, Rich. What, what no, not at all. It was my bad. It was my bad. Listen, I was just going to say, like, I've heard anecdotal. We've talked about anecdotal evidence before. And we talked about hard evidence. And one of the anecdotes that I, I keep hearing is that companies are just simply uh, employees, whether they're lawyers, whether they're, you know, people who run run operations for other parts of Asia out of Hong Kong. They're just shifting those operations to places like Singapore, Indonesia and I can't remember the other one, but anyway, so it's, it's amazing. These people are just getting like picking up and moving and, and the hard data that sort of corroborates that, that anecdotal stuff is the housing market, which for many, many, many years in Hong Kong was just a spectacular rocket ship, you know, fueled through foreign capital, Chinese capital, etc., cetera, um, has now made, I think like a two or three year low. Now, house price indices, as Steve has always tells us, they're lagging, they're tr tricky to, you know, they're tricky to sort of. Uh, identify and corroborate, but it's just amazing. The house price index for Hong Kong is making is making fresh lows virtually every month. Um, basically tells just, you that it's worse than whatever that home price index is is, is suggesting. The, the, what I was getting, yeah, yeah, that's it. Sorry, no, no, that's, that's no, 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 that's exactly right. No, I'm happy you said it. That's exactly. I couldn't have said it better myself. It's the only value I can provide, so I figured I'd chime in and go for it. On, no, no, go for it. Home price indexes. Do you guys hear what uh, Christine Lagarde said from the ECB this morning? Ah. <laughs> uh, Former criminal Christine Lagarde, carry on. <laughs> was she convicted or just charged? She's convicted. She was conv no, no, she's convicted for fraud and 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 for uh, fraud they, they for fraud, and they bent the rules to let her to be the ECB president. You can you can look that up. <laughs> it's kind of interesting if you think about it. Hey? You get convicted for financial fraud, and then you end up becoming the head of the entire financial system. What it's kind nuts. of world would allow that? I know. Well, a fantasy, a fantasy land. land. There you go. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> Bingo, oh there you my, go. yeah yeah rich rich is coming on side i'm that's coming good. on side that's right yeah that's um <laughs> so what what but, what's lagarde going on about yeah so this morning her quote was a recession won't be sufficient to settle inflation okay Duh, it's an energy crisis for christ's sake <laughs> But it, so it opens up, you know, simply saying, well, is it a depression? Like, what do they need to settle in inflation? So if a recession isn't good enough, I mean, who knows? But my point is that they're not, the central bank, they're, they're not in control. The actions they're taking is, is, to, is to create a softer economy on one hand, and they're trying to bail out Italy on the other hand. Um, oh, Rich, why don't you jump into some of the economic data for Europe that just came out over the last... 48 hours. Well, so. I was just going to chime in there quickly. Is this not like one of those situations that like, we, I mean, we've talked about in the show before, which is like, if Lagarde's saying less than a recession is probably not going to be enough to tame inflation. Like, is this not a scenario where at some point, I'm not saying it's now, I'm not saying it's in a month or two months from now, but at some point, central banks might just have to grapple with 
the idea that we're, we're going to live through higher inflation for the next couple of years. And, and it just did is what it is. Like, you're just going to have to suck it up and maybe inflation averages three to 4% for several years. Congratulations, Steve. You've jumped on the winning side. Welcome. There's a place of honor right next to me. You're welcome to join us. I mean, that's been my view for a while, but I, mean, <laughs> I know, I, I know. I'm kidding. I you know, know what I mean? Like it's just, it doesn't, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, uh, it's I mean, pretty. So I agree with you. They're the, they're, she's a politician. Make no mistake about it. Unlike Draghi, who is more of a technocrat slash politician. She is purely a politician. And I think this is part of the messaging to get people behind the fact that that's, you know, we're in a, we're in a world of financial oppression. Inf- inflation will be sustainably higher than interest rates, even though interest rates are rising. And um, the, we talked about real hair, real haircuts to debt burdens. This is how you do it. You inflate it away. I know Keith doesn't necessarily agree with that story, but I think this is just one of the steps to, on the road to <laughs> disaster, perdition. Who knows? I okay, know, I got Keith, another question for you. Yeah. Um, where do you Rapid guys... Rapid fire. Rapid where fire. Do you guys, Here we go. Yeah. Where do you guys see... Um, where do you see the bond yields in the next six months? In general, the Canada, U.S., any sort of important which the, the bond yield is, is the income payment you'll receive <laughs> on the bond no. if you apply an inverse diffusion index to it don't be mean i did my don't, cfa <laughs> don't get this guy revved up about diffusion index i'm just curious like over the next let's say six months like where do we see them in six months like do you do do you foresee like the the narrative of like okay we're we're clearly in recession uh weak growth you know, um, so bond yields are, are, are falling or do you feel that inflation just continues to be persistent and they're still at today's levels or even higher? Like what, what's your, what's your opinion on that? I, I think the markets are definitely very, very divided on this, but. Keith age before beauty, go ahead. Yeah. So the Americans now their 10 years, about four fifteen. I, 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 we could get a spike to five, but I, I think we're, we're in this topping phase. And the reason I think that, because I think we do get a hard landing in, in America as well. And um, so along that path, I, I can see the 10-year dropping back down to two or something if we get a hard landing in the US. It, it means corporate debt is widening. Like that doesn't do very well. But I, I really think we're set up, you know, for this deflationary boom, you know, from, from bond markets having a crisis. And that, that's where we're going. What number do you got, Rich? What do you think? So, I mean, it depends on how you look at it. So over, over six months is really quite short term. I think they'll probably be around where they are right now. I think it, it'll take, I mean, that's kind of a boring answer, but I think that that's, that that's my answer. I don't think they'll be much higher or much lower. I think if, if the market really was convinced that there would be a, a recession, I think it would be starting to price that in now. And that's not what we're seeing. We're seeing even on, even on a, on a day or um, on, a, on a week where um, where Powell is dead set on telling you that he is going to raise rates and effectively try to cause a recession, the bond yields are selling off. bond yields are up, so bonds are selling are selling off. And so that's where I don't, I don't think the market is yet convinced and I don't I think it's going to take longer than six months for that so-called recession to come out. On the other hand, there's a way you know then, then there's a way of valuing or what you think is the fair value of bonds and usually you do some kind of and that's like a long-term boring answer, which is the nominal GDP growth plus some kind of inflation. I think on both of those cases, I think we're going higher. 
Um, you know, my, my, my fair value is like five and a quarter for the 10 year bond yield. And so I think that's, that's where I would say over the next 12 months. Okay. Someone doesn't, there's no agreement. That's good to know. What, what's interesting though, like again, from the UK this morning, one of the quotes was, you know, we're trying to prevent guilt yields from exploding again. So I, I think, we, I really do think we are in this environment where governments and central banks are very aware of their bond market, of the government bond market. And they're, you know, they're going to do whatever they can to try to hold it together. Like if you ask the question, where, where would the Japanese tenure be? You know, a year from now, a century from now, whatever, you know, it, it's not going to budge from where it is. You know, I think it yeah, that was my answer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, again, I, I, I the, the challenge with the answer to this question, Steve, is that it assumes it's a normal economic cycle. And if that's the case, you know, Rich and I can give a really nice answer. You know, we'll, you know, tick and talk and deal with settling where it is. But I, I really think, though, we're going to see some kind of crisis in, in the bond world coming up. And uh, like if bond investors thought, you know, the last 15 months were, were tough, uh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, <laughs> you ain't seen nothing what might happen yet. But see, the problem I have with that view, though, is that shouldn't the market's smarter than that? And the market should be pricing in all of this negative information. And so either the market's being extremely sanguine or there's just been a step change in what people are willing to pay for these bonds. Um, and the problem I have with bond yields going down is that you need bond prices to go up. And it's, you know, if you think inflation is going to stay high, which I do, um, you know, you then you have a situation where you're, you're just not being appropriately compensated for that, that risk. So I, I think the only, so where you're right is that, you know, if you think about it, it's the US, so around the world, every country's issuing debt. So there's a sovereign debt market everywhere. And, and that is not a true price discovery kind of market yeah. anymore. So yeah. if you think the Italian or the German or French <laughs> or tenure French. is priced, Price correctly, it, it is not like no no one's buying it. In Japan, I saw this week. Um, so one hundred percent of of a specific government of Japan bond issues, it's entirely bought up and swallowed by the Bank of Japan. Um, it, and whereas in in Canada, like you know, it's the pension funds that are buying the debt that's issued. You know, the Bank of Canada giving QT, but I suspect they'll be back at QE at, at some point as well. The provincial bond market is highly illiquid. So for, for that reason, I think the majority of the world's bond market, it will never get to see the light of day again. It's always going to be, let's lock this puppy down. So then by default, it means that the only other market that's big enough and deep enough to get true price discovery is, is in America. Because again, there's no corporate bond market of significant size and liquidity outside the US. It, it doesn't exist. So every, every Canadian that thinks, well, we have this great corporate bond market in Canada, <laughs> you're wrong, pal. It, it doesn't exist. Uh, but in America, they do. So I think, you know, you could have the opportunity where, you know, bonds are correctly priced in here, in the, not here, we're down in the U.S., uh, but elsewhere, it, it's going to be this, uh, you know, this fictitious moment. That's what we suspect. What's your next question, your, Steve? Uh, Rapid fire. Your, your, but, your buddy, the milkshake man, just tweeted... <laughs> 
The U.S. government cannot fund itself at 5% forever, but it can fund itself at 5% for a lot longer than the U.K. can fund itself at 4.5%, and a lot longer than Europe and China can fund themselves at 3%, and a lot longer than Japan can fund itself at 1%. Um, so, I mean, I think that kind of sum, sums it up, really. I mean, you've got these sovereign debt bubbles around the world, and uh, the U.S. is still the, the cleanest dirty shirt in the laundry hamper. I mean, the other thing that I, I look at is, is I mean, just one thing on the bond yield is, I mean, I'm starting, I mean, I, we've been worried about stocks for a while, even though stocks have actually been rallied over the last, let's say, you know, three weeks or whatever, only to be smacked down by Powell, is as we, we were going to talk about economic data. I mean, something that came out last, a couple of days ago was the Dallas Federal Reserve. Um, you know, we, then we had the non, non-manufacturing ISM, which came in, I think it was slightly lower than expected, but that's starting to really start to roll over, especially when you look at the components. Um, we had the U S manufacturing data, uh, PMIs come out, um, again, new export orders. I think it's been the lowest it's been in two and a half years. Um, and then, you know, the thing that I'm starting to look at is earnings revisions. Again, we're going on and on about this, but this is really important. So this is where this is where I could be wrong about the bond yield in the sense that people really do capitulate on the equity market, especially the US equity market. We know they're capitulating on tech and consumer discretionary. They haven't yet capitulated on, let's say, telecoms, utilities, consumer staples, and, and energy. But if they start to capitulate on those sectors, they're going to need to buy something. And for the first time in a long time, the bonds in the U.S. are offering you, you know, whatever it is, four, four percent, you know, four and a quarter. All of a sudden, that becomes attractive in a world where, you know, you're Keith's point about the recession. And so you know, you start to say, okay, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy these bonds at four, even if there's a backup in yields to four and a half because of the duration and convexity. I'm actually kind of protected. The risk reward is now in my favor, so I'll just take that bet which you know might swing a bunch of people into the, into the into the into the tenure. So that's where I think that's where I could be definitely wrong about that, but I don't know, we'll see. If the Fed keeps raising rates, it'll be interesting for the yield curve to get lower. That's Was it the most inverted yield curve in 40 42 years or something? Something like that. Something yeah, since the lines. 80s. In I the did, 80s. I didn't know that. That's that's a uh... Boom, there you go. There's a quick fact yeah. for you. It's definitely true in Canada. It's definitely true in Canada. Um, it's the most inverted yield curve in Canada. You know, it's interesting because I just look at it like obviously housing focus, but uh, so there's a big trend that's happening right now, which is um, most, a lot of Canadians, like this is like the overwhelming trend today is um, over the past three, four months, everyone's been going uh, one, two, sometimes three-year fixed mortgage rates. So instead of going the traditional five-year fix, people are like, well, I don't want to lock in five years at five and a half percent, you know, highest rates in 14 years. So let's just bet on doing a one or two-year fix and hope that, you know, in two years time, when I go to, to renew, um, you know, the rates will be lower. So that's the overwhelming trend. But now what's happened, interestingly enough, is because you've got this yield curve inversion, is that your five-year fix is now actually lower than like a one or two-year fix in the mortgage market, which is not common at all. There's always been historically a discount um, for obviously going with a shorter duration uh, loan. So it's interesting because the next question is like, okay, well, you've got now you've got 
So during the pandemic, it all these people that were betting on variables. Well, Tiff Macklem told me he's never going to raise rates. Let's go variable. Obviously, that hasn't worked out very well. Uh, and now people are going one to two year fixed with the expectation or the hopes that rates are going to come down in one to two years. And and that's another wild card, right? I mean, where are rates two years from now? It, it's it's another bet that Canadians are making. Um, you know. Hope is, I guess, as Keith said, hope is not a strategy, but uh, that, that's that's what they're. It's not a great for. strategy, but it is a strategy. It is. I a know. Strategy. It, it, like, <laughs> I know people use it as a strategy, but it's, uh, you know, I hope I get taller, but I don't think that's gonna. That's gonna. You got to hang buddy. upside down with those boots. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but what's interesting though, like with with this whole you know, mortgage rate cycle, you know, I expect at some point soon, the Bank of Canada, they, they will peak out. And uh, it, it doesn't matter what the number is. And there will be a pause for a while. And then they're going to start coming down again. So, you know, if I was playing that mortgage rate game, if you're getting a mortgage today, I don't think the upside is that much more if you're on a variable rate. Do you think so, Steve? I mean, that's my opinion, but everyone's, you know, uh, hey, I had the wrong call at the beginning of the year. So um, don't take mortgage advice from me, obviously. But uh, I mean, that's my opinion. I think that the economy stinks. I think that the housing market's in recession. I think the rest of the economy is going to follow suit. So, you know, I just don't think there's a whole lot more movement for for rates. And I think Tiff Macklem kind of signaled that in his in his most recent, like like we talked about last week's episode, right? I mean, the market price in 75 basis point rate hike, it was a layup for him to do 75 and he did 50. I had to eat then, a lemon loaf, remember? Yeah. yeah oh, people are always... upset about that, by the way. They said that doesn't count. So that's right. You always a Twinkie. We're holding that, we're holding you to that. I think that that's why the in Canada, I can't, I mean, the U.S. have some views and maybe we'll skip that for now, but that's why I think the population growth, we keep on harping on this, but that's why I think it's just such an interesting sort of X factor to all this. Because if you have population growth, again, we talked about the, um, we, we, again, just so people understand, population growth is one way that you sort of increase your GDP, right? You just literally have more people in your economy, so your GDP goes up. If you have population growth of 2%, you will not get a recession. It's just, it's it's unless you're, GDP falls by more than 2% for those two quarters. Like, you know what I mean? So it, it's, it, it will be really interesting how you um, slow down, let's say the rent mar- rental market, how you slow down food inflation, how you slow down transport, how do you slow down retail sales, like all that stuff. If you just have an incredible amount of people just entering into your economy, um, you have to have like, you know, it, it will just be really fascinating how, that is incorporated into their analysis, how that affects these numbers. Um, I think per capita, we probably already are in a recession. Do you know what I mean? But if, but just as a, the GDP as a whole in aggregate, we very, very hard. If you have 2% population growth for the next two years, I can virtually guarantee you, you will not go into a recession in Canada. And it will be also impossible to have your inflation numbers go back down to 2% as well. And, and so I'm really kind of fascinated by all this, you know, Keith always talks about the left hand pulling and the right hand pushing. Well, man, if that doesn't describe what's going on in Canada with the, the the central bank tightening and the Fed and the government of Canada, not going to lower, it's it's not going to shrink its deficit. Lots of people coming in. That's extremely inflationary. I don't know where you're going to house these people personally. Um, 
I mean, the resale market stinks, but my so, gosh. They're all so, going to go to Saskatchewan. That's where they're going. I think the loony hour needs to get into the tent manufacturing business. <laughs> I mean, hopefully they're all, they come here with like the un, uh, the understanding they're going to be spending an incredible amount of their disposable income on, on housing. I, I think that, that should be at least a sign at the airport when they arrive. Um I mean, welcome one, welcome all. I mean, let's, Keith's you know, got a Canada's big a house. Country. A yeah, Keith's got a big house. There's a couple extra bedrooms there. there lots of uh, lemon loaves and Twinkies and, and stuff as well. Um, back to what we started when we opened the show with, um, you're talking about like the path where we expect things to move. And I, I suggest that, you know, that they're still going as, as we expect it. Um, this is not a perfect timing story, but... You know, we were we were suspecting that we might get another leg down in, in equities, and it would have been confirmed by with what you know the Fed was going to do this week. So again, this is the way that you know our minds think as money managers. Okay, we we got that data point from the Fed. Uh, so as of now, it looks like we should roll over a bit more in equities. Now, I know I mentioned a few weeks back that I thought we are you know potentially starting to bottom with equities, and it, it might take a few months for that to happen. And I still think we are in that phase and we got two more big data points coming up and we're almost at the end of the year. So on Friday, which, you know, guys are, you know, listening to this now, we're going to have the non-farm payroll number. And, um, you know, by now, you know, whether it was an awesome number. So if it's a really strong number, this is how weird the market is, right? If we get a really powerful jobs creation number on Friday, what's going to happen to the market? <laughs> it's going to go down. Yeah, right. it's going to sell off, right? Bad, and, good news is bad news. <laughs> yeah. So you, you think about it, right? You're like, wow, why is the market selling off? You know, we created jobs for people. Uh, but of course, if it, it's a, a softer like number, you know, markets will, will do well. And then we have the CPI number coming up in a couple of weeks as well. And then it's, you know, then the year is done. So, um, you know, but that's for you, us. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I mean, for us, we are starting to see this opportunity to to add risk again, and uh, but one thing to appreciate, you know, even during you know that this has been a bad year for most markets, um, there hasn't been any, any dramatic drop off in the market. You know, it's been this like trending lower. You know, ups and downs, of course, a lot like two thousand and two, by the way, which is one of the worst equity markets I've ever been through. And um, so, you know, it would be great if we start, if we get this 5, 10, 15% smackdown and, you know, it, it, it could happen Friday afternoon, who knows, um, you know, that would be, you, you, you take that as a gift. You say, thank you. And that's your opportunity to uh, start adding risk again. But that's what well, we're, we're getting well, thankful well, for. Go ahead, Steve. Well, no, sorry. I was just going to ask you, I think you kind of somewhat answered your own, my, my question there, but which is, yeah, how, how are you guys, how do you, how, how are you looking at U.S. equities, for example? Is you basically, I just like, are you at this point, are you slowly adding? Are you still waiting for a better entry point? I mean, I think we're, we're all in agreement here that we're tiptoeing, obviously, closer to some sort of financial event. Um, but, um, yeah, how are you, how are you doing? How are you looking at that? Yeah, for our long-running portfolios, it excludes new clients that have come on over the last year. Uh, we have not added to equities for a while now. We, we've been expecting this downturn this year, and, and that's what's happening. And, um, you know, we're, we're opportunists. We, we know that we are going to trough at some point. We have a couple of models that we really like, and they're almost at rock 
bottom, which is you know when you want to buy. Uh, but that's that's where we are right now. So you, Again, this, okay. this is getting, trending getting as close, we were close, but not there. Yeah, it's so trending I, as we I, had hoped. This is the way we were hoping it would go. So can I answer this question too? Which is to say, I, I mean, I'm you know. You know I, you know, we've, we have a similar view, I guess. And the reason I'm, I remain sort of skeptical about a bottoming is, is to, it's two reasons. And I'll show you, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll walk you through my, my path. And, and you know, Keith's joke about the non-farm payrolls being good or positive tomorrow is going to be negative for the market. That same thing happened last week. So last week, the jolts data came out, which is the always job openings. <laughs> Thank you. Job openings and um, survey, basically. And it's and it surprised to the upside. So everybody was convinced that the job openings were going to fall, um, especially in, for example, the construction sector, which everyone's convinced is over. I don't agree with that view, but that's a conversation for a different day. Um, and it surprised the upside. And on that release, the market sold off. And, and so basically, to me, it's, it's back to this whole narrative that the market is, remains at the mercy of real interest rates. And that's part of the narrative that the market is still waiting for Fed, for Jerome Powell to pivot, to pivot to lower to, 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 to lower real interest rates. So to basically make money cheaper again and to float what was a market built on cheap currency. The problem that you have is that you need earnings and you just aren't getting earnings and you aren't getting earnings because the economy is slowing. You're not getting earnings because... Um, sales growth, which tracks the economy, is slowing. You aren't getting earnings because margins are at the peak and they're starting to roll over. Um, and so your, 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 your entire performance, you know, your, your year-on-year um, equity market performance is just tracking the increase in price-earnings ratio, e.g. the value that you're willing to give for that fixed amount of earnings. And that is just a function of the Fed policy. So unless you have a break in that relationship, unless you start have, seeing you know, earnings rise and that P ratio in, in effect stay flat and have some kind of performance, um, you're, I just, I don't think you're quite ready to go full, you know, like I was going to say something, a very crude expression, but just to go fully into equities. I think you really need to see earnings come through, but before you see earnings, I think you're going to have to see um, earnings expectations sort of bottom. You're going to have to, these analysts started to reprice what they think they're going, what's going to happen with these stocks. And that's not happening at all. The opposite's happening. Analysts are getting more and more and more bearish on the expectations of their individual stocks. And so, although I'm, I agree with Keith in the sense that we're closer to the bottom than we might've been six months ago, I still think that there's room for some damage with respect to your equity portfolio. Boom. There you go. Um, Keith, Keith, what did I screw up there? <laughs> no, it's a good, good way to wrap it up. Um, Keith, Keith's nodding his head in agreement. So, uh, as always, we appreciate your support. Uh, we're a month out from the Looney Hour event uh, live in Toronto, so very much looking forward to meeting everyone at the Hockey Hall of Fame. We appreciate your support. Leave us a review, and uh, as always, we'll see you next week.